0: You'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 3 this morning. I wanted to provide a little background for the book starting in Exodus, starting with these first two chapters. Exodus chapter 1, we will see that Israel is increasing greatly in Egypt. They're growing their tribes, they're growing their families, they're multiplying, they're becoming strong. They were soon to be oppressed by Pharaoh. The people of Israel became slaves to the king's bidding, building store cities, hard with labor and brick and mortar, and all types of work in the fields. The king was afraid, afraid of this growing slave population. So he calls for the midwives to kill all the baby boys. But the midwives did not do as the king commanded them. So the king calls for every boy to be drowned in the river Nile. Exodus chapter 2, we learn that there's a couple from the house of Levi. They hid their newborn baby in a basket and placed the boy safely among the reeds. In the riverbank, here the daughter of Pharaoh finds and adopts this young boy, gives him care in his early years. His name is Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. You see, Moses grows up, and he sees the burden of slavery on his people, and one day he kills an Egyptian for beating up a Hebrew. He gets, gets caught, and then the Pharaoh seeks to kill him. Moses escapes and becomes a sojourner in a foreign land. He finds a new home, a new job, a wife, and settles down. However, back in his homeland, Israel groans now because of their slavery, and they cried out to God for help and for a rescue. God saw that the people of Israel were in oppression, and they were crying, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and God knew their oppression. Pastor Scott gave an amazing recap of Moses' life when he. From a series on Acts about lessons from the early church. There he went through Stephen's speech, the lesson of Moses from Acts chapter 7. So if you went to our church's website, eastwhiteoak.church, and searched for the words Acts 7 and Moses, you would find and locate this sermon. He He showed for us that when Moses was born, he was beautiful in God's sight. He had the blessing of God on his life. However, Moses, Had been kingdom building for himself. And the people of Israel were rejecting him because they knew about him killing the Egyptian, for he was afraid. So now he lives in exile, he marries, he has these sons. And Pastor Scott helped us see from Acts chapter 7 that Moses' exile was a part of God's plan. God knew that both Moses and Israel were doing wrong. Acts chapter seven, verse 30, it talks about the first 40 years of Moses' life and that they didn't simply just pass, but they were fulfilled, for God placed Moses for a purpose. Then he did wrong. Now here are the second 40 years of his life. He spends these years herding sheep, but again, placed for a purpose. And now we enter Exodus chapter three, the next part of the story. Let me also recap before we read it. Moses is now 80 something years old, and a revelation of God with the appearance of an angel will, become, will come before Moses in a burning bush. We learned several things from our study in Acts chapter seven that are not in this text, let me share them with you. We learn that God does not confine himself to the revelation of the temple alone. Not only that, God does not need the temple to reveal himself to people. There was a calling from God to Moses in the proper order of first, to be a worshiper, and second, to go on mission. God can reveal himself anywhere he wants beyond the confines of the temple. So God sends Moses as a ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel of the Lord, and Moses will eventually perform signs and wonders, just like the apostles and believers in Jesus' time were sent by God with signs and wonders to bring the story of redemption to the nations. We learned that Israel is wrong in thinking that God is confined to the temple. No place on earth is now God's exclusive place of worship. Holy ground is where God is today. So, as we gather together here, so God is with us here, in the worship center, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. We are placed for a purpose, just as Moses was placed for a purpose. Stand with me this morning as we read Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. It's our practice here to stand and read the scripture. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father Jethro and the priest of of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is the bush not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, taskmasters, I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land and flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Peserites, the Hivites, and the Jezebites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with, with which the Egyptians oppressed them. "Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Egypt, out of, e- of Israel, out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses said to God, "Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt?" He said, "But I will be with you, and there shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. Thank you. You may have a seat. Our message today is Moses in the burning bush placed for a purpose. And I chose the title first off because the beginning part you're familiar with. But I want to suggest that the excitement and the astonishment of the burning bush is not the focus of the passage here, but rather that through trial and disobedience, Moses was placed for a purpose. And if out of his disobedience, God still honors his covenant to save Israel and now use Moses, just think of what God will do as Moses begins to obey. God met with Moses right where he was. He was covered in dirt from the mountainside, herds of goats and sheep all around him. He chose to use the man that he fornew to complete a task that he was designed to do. So look at your life today. How is God using you, perhaps amidst your disobedience? And how is he using you When you are obedient, for in either category, God will meet you where you are. He needs no temple for you to meet with him, and God is at work in your life today. Won't you listen and let him speak to you? Moses was placed for a purpose, and I know that you are placed for a purpose as well. And at the end of the service today, I'm going to recommend to you a book titled Placed for a purpose. It says on the front that it's a simple and sustainable vision for loving your next door neighbors. At the end of the service today, I'll have some extended announcements as I share East White Oak's outreach effort for 2022. One of the things is that whether from your Sunday worship service that you're attending, your Bible fellowship, or your small group, people from East White Oak live somewhere, for most all of us, around our neighborhood. And we believe, just like Moses, that each of you have been placed for a purpose to minister to those around you. And this summer, we're going to encourage you to band together with one other family and host a neighborhood block party. Perhaps it's a cookout, just some sort of gathering event. The authors of the book, "Place for a Purpose, by Chris and Elizabeth McKinney, encourage us to seek the low and slow lifestyle of neighboring for that builds meaningful, gospel-motivated conversations. They also said that in a culture where most people don't know their neighbors' names, when we're lonelier than ever, we want to grow in what Jesus says was the most important thing we could ever do with our lives, which is to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors. Keep that in the back of your mind this morning as we imagine how in Moses's most hardest seemingly years of his life, God knew he was placed for a purpose. And likewise, even if these are some of the most seemingly hardest years of your life, God has placed you for a purpose, to provide for you a way to love your neighbors as yourself. Maybe you just don't feel called to do that. Maybe you don't feel equipped to do that. Perhaps you don't feel that you're capable to do that. Look one or two pages ahead at Exodus chapter 4. Exodus 4, verses 10 and 11. Exodus four ten says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither the past, or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Verse 11, The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who made him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You see, it doesn't matter that Moses was being called, equipped, or even provided the capability. He just doesn't want to do it. And to be honest, maybe we don't want to do what God is calling us towards, perhaps in the context of neighboring this morning for perhaps we view our homes as a haven and a recluse from the world. We must fight against this posture and see our homes as a beacon of light for the gospel, and when we do this, it will allow for times of rest in our homes as well as times of outreach in our homes. Interestingly enough, Moses was not so slow of speech and tongue as he reports. We learned in Acts chapter 7 that as a baby, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, brought him up as her own son, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. Let us walk through the text this morning and find some applications for us along the way. Great text from the Bible, Moses in the burning bush placed for a purpose. The first section, Moses was placed for a purpose to tend his sheep. The first six verses. Verse one, at now 80 years old or so, 40 years in service to Pharaoh and another 40 years on the run in exile, Moses keeps watch over the sheep. It's not a glamorous job, but it is a career that you can immerse yourself in for the good of your family and for the good of those that you love. He was a family man. With a home and a job, he had backaches and blisters. He enjoyed the birth of new sons, of new sheep, and the pain of predators that would seek to hurt him. It says that he was keeping here. Keeping means to shepherd his sheep, to tend to them as they pasture and graze and feed. He was a herdsman, a special friend to his flock. He led the flock, literally meaning to drive them and to guide them, showing them the place of danger as well as the place of sustenance. It's good for us to realize that Moses, now as a shepherd of sheep, will soon be a shepherd of men and women, showing them the place of danger and the place of sustenance. He was led to the west side of the wilderness, to the Horeb, the mountain of God, This would seem to be the same place as Mount Sinai, where later Moses would receive the Ten Commandments. Verse 2, the angel of the Lord came to him in a flame of fire out of the midst in the bush. One commentator puts it this way, that the angel of the Lord, I really like this, clothed himself in flames of fire from within the bush. God appears as a flame of fire that will be seen this way as a continuing theological trend through the rest of the Bible. Moses did not turn away from it, but he looked and he observed it. Verse 3, Moses says that he must look at this great wonder. He must. I'd suggest for us today, what wonders around us must we pause to look at? Wonders that we're not gazing upon, perhaps, in our Bible fellowships, in our small groups. Wonders of a regular worship Sunday attendance of our families, of our careers, of missions in prayer. Must God present himself today in this room as a flame of fire to get our attention? I guess that's a sore subject here at East White Oak. Since we did lose our entire sanctuary in a fire in the 1990s. So sorry, Pastor Jeff, for any PTSD that I brought back about fires in church. So let's say if the Lord did come today in his flame of fire, it would not consume the church like it didn't consume the bush. But it's a serious question. Does God need to come and reveal himself in that way for us to take notice of what he's doing? I'd say he does not. Why? For he has revealed himself to us through his Son, who has died on the cross, paid a penalty for our sins that we could not afford, and then rose again, conquering sin and death. God has revealed himself through his son, and now through his word. And as we read it this morning, we devour it. Verse four, God speaks when we give him attention. God identifies himself here. There is no mystery in this passage. It's what would be called a theophany. That is, an appearance of the invisible God. The ensuing discussion that happens here between God and Moses, there's no more further mention of the angel of the Lord. But I want you to take note that it does say the angel, the angel of the Lord. It's not an angel, as we may see elsewhere in Scripture, it is the angel. Other passages, Genesis chapter 16, verse 10, the angel of the Lord, who found Hagar in the wilderness, promises to her, I will so greatly multiply your descendants... That they can not be numbered for multitude. Genesis 22 verse 11. When Abram is about to sacrifice, Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac, the angel of the Lord, God himself, calls from heaven and says, "Now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me." Genesis chapter 31, 11 and 13. When the angel of the Lord of God appeared to Jacob in a dream. He said, I am the God of Bethel, where you are anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. And here, in Exodus chapter 3, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. These are clear instances of the angel of the Lord. At other times, simply an angel seems to be distinguished from God altogether. 2 Samuel 24, verse 16, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 11 to 13, and passages that mention an angel of the Lord, like in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, when God says sends an angel to bring this message. Your Bibles may also capitalize all the letters of the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all in capitals. That signifies the name Yahweh. Whereas, an angel of the Lord will only capitalize the first letter of the word Lord, L, as seen in Luke chapter 1, 11, where God merely sent an angel on his behalf. D.A. Carson would say that <clears throat> the angel of the Lord in Exodus is some manifestation of God himself, the biblical manifestation of the, angel of the Lord. However, does not fit into so neat and simplistic an explanation that we might want to give it. In almost all of the biblical accounts, the biblical writers seem to want to stipulate that God himself, the angel of the Lord, God himself did appear but distanced himself from the transcendent God, listen, from any mere appearance. It's the appearance that's different. The angel of the Lord remains this mysterious figure shown in different ways, who is identified with God, yet separable in appearance from him. This is also an early announcement, as it were, of the eternal word, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became flesh simultaneously, God's own fellow, God's own self, John chapter 1, 1 and 14. God turned to Moses and called him by name, How will Moses be accepted, he must have thought. If God is so holy, now he is before me. He must have asked himself that question. Worried and fearful, how can I be in God's presence? You may also ask that question of yourself today. You see, the sacrifices in the Old Testament are pointing toward the ultimate sacrifice through Jesus Christ and only through Jesus can we now be in God's presence. Christ alone is our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Moses is really realizing he is on holy ground. Verse five, do not come near, God says. You will learn that God's wonders are powerful. Take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. This is holy ground. Chuck Swindoll spoke to the Dallas Theological Seminary students on March 14th, 2014. On the topic here of Exodus chapter three, you could go to YouTube and search for Chuck Swindoll Exodus three, and it would pull up the DTS YouTube page, and this passage that I'm referring to, he titled, When God Asks of You Something Great. And Chuck Swindoll talks about this verse, and he says, don't rush through moments like this when you're reading your Bible. It's an emotional moment. He says, give it emotion. Let it be relived in your minds. Put yourself in his place. Now, sandals off. Feel the heat of the sand on your feet. Now in front of this bush that keeps burning, feel the heat on your cheeks. Moses covers his face because he's afraid to look at God, and the Lord asks of him something great. Give it a motion when you're reading it. Verse 6, he is the God of all his fathers. Moses hid his face when he sees this true God, now in fear. How did Moses get where he was? How did he get here to this day in front of this bush? God placed him for a purpose to be there. Our second section, Israel was placed for a purpose even amidst slavery. Verse 7, God saw the people's affliction. Take comfort today. To know that God sees the affliction of his people. He knows who you are, and he knows your affliction. They are not unknown to him. He hears our cries and our prayers. He knows who our enemies are, and he knows when we are suffering. Verse 8, God came to deliver them out of the hand of their enemies and into this promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey. When we were in Israel here just a month or two ago, our travel guide's name was Daniel. And Daniel had a wonderful uh, way to tell stories about his love for the land. And he talked to us about this land of milk and honey. And he said, it's not just a land that has lots of milk and lots of honey. He said, the land is so fertile that especially in the upper northern regions that the farmers play this game with one another. And the game is to see Who can grow the most exotic, subtropical subtropical fruits and have a competition with one another? Who can see if they can grow it? So if you're a health nut, or if you just love fruits and vegetables, Israel's got you covered. I looked up some of the fruits that they may easily be able to grow, like sugar apples, dragon fruit, pickly pear, pear, passion fruit, and I found a whole list of vegetables that I can't even pronounce but I'd love to go and try them. Israel is a land flowing with milk and honey. God will now come down to the place of the Egyptians, the dry, hot, dreaded lowland, most likely where he'll bring the plagues, and he'll bring them up out into this good and broad land, brought up to a land of higher elevation where the beasts roam and the fields grow, up out of their slavery... Into the promised land. This land is currently inhabited by six or more clans who will continually be condemned for worshiping other small g gods, their own divinities that they've created. God is going to see his chosen people placed for a purpose among them. Verse 9 God repeats himself in that he knows the cry, he knows the oppression of his people. Do you ever feel like God just isn't there sometimes? If so, let this passage be a reminder to you that that is a lie. For he knows the cry and oppressions of his people. Verse 10, God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh. Verse 11, Moses questions it, saying, Who am I? God says, I will be with you. And you will return here with a new people serving God. Question for you this morning, what are you serving now versus what you would be serving if God were leading? If you're a Christ follower this morning, you were once in bondage to sin. Christ came to free us to serve, often in the exact same place, but now with a godly purpose behind it. Israel was placed for a purpose. Our third section this morning, man will will only be placed for a purpose by God. Verse 13, Moses wants to know God's name. He says, okay, verse 14, I am who I am. Say to Israel, I am has sent you to me. Wayne Grudem notes that the implication here is that God's existence and God's character are determined by himself alone. They are not dependent on anyone or anything else. This means God's being has always been and will always be exactly what it is. God is not dependent on any part of his creation for his existence or for his nature. And even without creation, God would still be infinitely loving, infinitely just, infinitely eternal, omniscient, Trinitarian, and so forth. Imagine that. Before our time began, God existed in this Trinity feeling all the emotions before we ever even existed and wanted to share it with us. This love, this joy, this unity. The Lord God is calling himself, I am that I am. When the people of Israel call the Lord. They call him Yahweh. That's the L-O-R-D that's all in capitals. And that means he is. Yahweh, the Lord. He is. And now God is revealing himself, acknowledging both for Moses and for these people, yes, I am the Lord God, Yahweh. For who you call he is, is me, I am. And just so everyone's clear, God makes no mistake and says in verse 15, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, all capables, God himself Yahweh, the Lord has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Let me read with you starting in verse 15 through the end of the chapter. Exodus chapter 3 verse 15 God also says to Moses, "'Say this to the people of Israel, "'that the Lord, the God of your fathers, "'of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, has sent me to you. "'This is my name forever, "'and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. "'Go and gather the elders of Israel together "'and say to them, "'The Lord, the God of your fathers, "'of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, "'have appeared to me, saying, "'I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt.'" And I promise that I will bring you up out of affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezrites, Hivites, and Jesubites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now... Please let us go on a 3 days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Verse 20, So I'll stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I'll do in it. After that, he will will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor, and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and clothing, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Back to verse 15. God tells of his lineage here. This will be God's name forever. It will not be forgotten, it will be remembered for all generations. Verse 16 Moses is also to tell this to the elders of Israel. Spoiler alert! Go to chapter 4 and look at verses 29, 30, and 31. Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs inside of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard the word, or they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel... And that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads, and they worshiped. When Moses begins to obey, God moves in the people's hearts, and they believe. They believe! And they bow their heads, and they worship the Lord. Oh, what joy we see when God's people obey his call on their lives. Exodus chapter 3, now verse 17. God promises to bring them out of affliction. Again, a reminder of this land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 18, God says that they will listen. These elders will take the words to the king of Egypt, and then they'll ask for a three-day's leave. This trip is a trip focused on worship, the text says. And this three-day trip, we believe, was a Near Eastern expression that really meant a long journey with an indefinite period of time. It was a common saying, but that's not the important part that they're going to end up asking for. The important part here is that God will not let any king but the heavenly Father demand where man will be placed. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, it says, and God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, listen, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling. No earthly king can hold back God's people. Man will only be placed for a purpose by God. And our last section this morning, God will bless those that he has placed for a purpose. Verse 19, God sees the future and the king says, he will not let you go. Verse 20, God says that he'll strike Egypt And this will be a strike with many plagues to come in the future. Verse 21, the people of Egypt will be glad for them to leave and will send them away well. God gave his people favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. So he's talking about the future here. And you're an Egyptian, you've just suffered through the plagues. Are you happy to see the Israelites go? I'd be happy to see them go. Verse 22, when asked, the neighbors will give silver, gold, and clothing and put it on the people of Israel. John Constable, commentator, notes that this plunder is truly a plunder of Egypt, implying that they will make many demands on them, and the Egyptians will respond like a defeated nation before their victors. The spoils that Israel takes are to be regarded as back wages or compensation for the oppression. The important part here to notice is that God... Remembered his people, and that God will provide favor to his people. And although the Egyptians did not see them as friendly neighbors, sending them away with a fruit basket, the Egyptians were happy to see them leave. This is a plunder that God ordains in the eyes of man. A final review this morning Moses was placed for a purpose, Israel was placed for a purpose, man is placed for a purpose by God and God will bless those that he has placed for a purpose. Some application for us this morning. Just as Moses stood before God on holy ground, and he chose to go, Jesus now calls us to make a choice. Ephesians chapter 1, 3, and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as... He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, and now that is set apart to be holy and blameless before him. Moses was called by God out of this burning bush. God called him by name, and God is saying to us today, I'm calling you a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God did not have to call us, but he did. And in his mercy, God wills to be known and to be worshiped. And our natural response should be to say, here I am, Lord, send me. So think to yourself, why was Moses so adverse to go? God commanded him, have we been told to go and resisted God? If Moses was a wanted man back in Egypt, don't you think he would have been afraid for himself? Do you think Moses might have thought to himself that his sins were so bad in his past that God could not forgive him and that God could not use him? And if he thinks that, maybe he's smearing his past sins over the rest of his life, Do we feel like we must smear our past sins over the rest of our lives? And what are the consequences of those actions? How does consistently and constantly blaming ourselves for our past sins cause us to enter into our own time of exile? I want to tell you today that God has placed you for a purpose in this church, in your family, in your workplace, your school, and even your neighborhood. God has blessed you with gifts and skills to equip you to do something greater than you could ever imagine. Gather around those today who sit next to you in Sunday worship, who are in your adult Bible fellowships, in your small groups, and band together to do the Lord's will. And when God calls you to go, go. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 18 and 21, say, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you for the lord is a god of justice blessed are all those who wait for him and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying this is the way go walk in it dear lord and heavenly father we want to answer that call with the affirmation here i am lord send me And as we hear from your word this morning, you call your servants to do your great work. Lord, may we realize that we are placed for a purpose to do the great work you've prepared for us. Lord, tug on our hearts this morning. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.